folks to another episode of That Anita Live, emotional healing to help you create a happier life. I am Anita, your host, and this week our topic may be just a little bit heavy for some viewers. However, it is an epidemic in our society and the only way to eradicate it is to face it head on. The National Sexual Violence Resource Center reports that one in four girls and one in six boys will be molested before the age of 18. Today, I have with me Tremaine Moore, a sexual assault survivor. Hi, Tremaine, how are you? Good, and you? Just fine, thank you for coming out for the interview today. Thank you for having me. So, share with my viewers just a little bit of your story. Sure, um, my story is pretty much I was physically, verbally, and emotionally abused, starting at the age of eight by a male relative, and two years later, it would progress to sexual molestation, which would go on for a period of seven months between August of 1984 to about February of 1985. And then the summer of 85, I would be molested by a female relative, also two years older than me. And that would go on very little between, you know, for a two week period. And then it would happen off and on in 86. Now, what was your family relationships like at that point? Was there a lot going on in the home? Was there a lot of people in and out of the house? There wasn't a lot of people in and out of the home, thankfully. It was just, you know, we were just doing a lot of activities. You know, my dad working, my mom working. You know, my male relative was in school with me. He was two years older than me, and my sister was in school. So we were all doing something. So you feel as if, when this happened, it, you all were a very close-knit and tight family at that time. Yes. What do you think happened that caused this family member to feel it was okay if your family was tight-knit? Well, I would say that, I could say what break it what broke it is someone from the outside that's not really into the immediate family would destroy the tight unit by basically play a game of divide and conquer. Mm. And that's what happened in my situation. Okay. And and this person lived with your family at the time? Yes. He didn't start living with us until I I was eight. He was ten. Ah, so what was it that um, happened in, I guess, in your extended family, mm -hmm. where he had to come and live with He failed all. the fourth grade. Ah, so, so there was dysfunction in the extended family. Correct. That entered your immediate family exactly. and broke down the family structure. Exactly. When you had the conversation the first time with your parents mm -hmm. and where you expressed and you told that these things were happening to you, mm -hmm. what was the reaction that you received? Well, bearing in mind I was also 10, going on 11, I did not tell them the whole story. I only told them that it only happened once out of fear of their reaction because I was scared of my family because I was always facing a belt for just about everything that I did, whether I was at fault or not. So I only told them part of the story and they actually got it on the back end. I told a classmate, the classmate told everyone practically in my class 
and then it would hit the principal and then it would hit the family as a result. Okay, so you, your story came out in school first. Yes. How did the school respond? They were very concerned, thankfully, and and you could say I sang like Luther when, I, when it came to the principal. This is pretty much what went down. Mm -hmm. So did the principal bring in a, a guidance counselor or a counselor to help with the situation? Surprisingly, no. The okay. counseling didn't happen until after I did something wrong the following year. I was could have been charged for molesting a girl. Now, I touched a girl's breast um, the following year and they suspended me for two to three days. I was placed in group counseling, was placed on Ritalin, and they talked about transferring me to another school. Uh, so what was your relationship like with your father at the time? My dad and I were still close. I mean, that was my father, um, thankful that I, I had him the first 38 years of my life. Mm -hmm. But I would say, as far as the disciplinary, when it came to my father, he wasn't really the disciplinarian. It was my mother who did more of the discipline in the house. She practically ran the house. Okay. How did your father respond that afternoon when the, your parents got the phone call from the school? He actually came to the school and he explained to me what sex really was from the male perspective and some of the names that we would call each other. He actually broke down some of the names like punk and then there's another word he explained what they really meant so i gained more of an understanding of what those words really meant and like i said because it only happened once a year later now mind you this male relative was not living with us when i told this classmate he he actually went back home to his mom my grandmother but would return a year later because he was still not doing well in school at all. So he would come back. The sexual molestation stopped, but the physical, verbal, and emotional continued for about another two years. When he tried to run away from home, my mom had enough and sent him back and he would never return. And by this point, he was still not doing well. In fact, he was supposedly two grades ahead of me. I eventually caught him my freshman year. Okay. so. Again, with that day, with your dad, do you feel as if the explanation your dad was giving you, was he trying to dismiss it? No, he wasn't trying to dismiss it. He was just trying to at least make me aware of what's going on in the world. And this is what was going on in, in this society. It wasn't so much to dismiss it, but I believe both my parents were angry of it, but not to the point that he would not come back. Did that upset you when they allowed him to come back? I was very upset. But of course, I, um, of course, my mom gave me the assurance, that's not going to happen again. I didn't care. So, I, of course, I embraced it. You know, okay, welcome to back open arms, pretty much let it go. But then days later, sure, the sexual abuse didn't stop, but all the other abuses continued and got worse. Give me an example of what some of those abuses were. Most of them were punching me dead in the chest or if I didn't submit to whatever he would want me to do that my parents did not want me to do. It was just a matter of that type of control. Because all those are forms of manipulation yes. that form a grooming process. Exactly. So looking back, can you see pinpoint or milestones in the grooming process? Certain milestones? Points where specific things happened and where you can say, okay, that's where the physical abuse started and my emotional self-esteem began to break down 
or this is where. Yeah, there were a lot of few milestones. I mean, the first thing is my uncle basically twisting my arm around or punching me if I didn't do something. I remember one time when I was, when, when my uncle came back, he would have me steal things from him from a store. And it was almost like, I know that if I would have got caught, he would have basically said it was me that would have done it. And my parents would have believed it because what was I to do? I had no choice. What was the relationship like with your sister during this time? Thankfully, my sister was shielded from all of this. So she wasn't affected no way near as much as I was. How, how, what's the age difference in you and your my sister? My sister and I were five years apart. Okay, okay, so. I'm, I'm older than her. A great deal. Yes. <laughs> okay, so dealing with, again, with the family. Mm -hmm. Parents that have young children today, mm -hmm. because as I said in the intro, this is it, it's it's prevalent in our society. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that causes it to remain prevalent is denial. Mm -hmm. What would you help our viewers with? What would you help parents with to say to look for when there's abuse? First thing is check uh, behavioral patterns, check the grades, because you'll find different extremes. You'll find that. Grades may be great, but behavior is terrible, and that's an indication that they're acting out what they can't act out at home. And that was actually true for me. So whenever I brought home a report card, my parents didn't overlook my grades, which were great. It was just the unsatisfactory behavior, and I was still punished for that. And that was a tell-all sign that something's going wrong, and it should be proved and, don't, and not taking the approach of, Oh, there's just nothing wrong with him. He's just he's just being a natural pain in the neck. Yeah, he's just being a rebel, being exactly. bad, being okay. Because these were primary years exactly. of your life, and it is when children tend to to act out, um, and a lot can be found out from play therapy mm -hmm. versus conversation with exactly. a child in school. Did you find that schools was, school was someplace that you felt was safe? No. And you would look forward to going to school or? I liked the academic piece, but there was just another part of me that was just like, if I could just crawl into a ball somewhere and be alone, that's what I, that's what I, I welcome that more pretty much. And what, ha what would happen in school that would bring on that feeling? Just knowing what, um, I went through and know, and because I went to school from fifth grade to ninth grade in one area, most of those people matriculated with me. Mm -hmm. So, and some of the upper class knew this male relative. So some of them would see me my freshman year and just come up to me out of nowhere and just punch me dead in the chest. You know, within certain periods, this was, became almost an everyday thing. So it spilled over into school. Yes. What can schools do to be more attentive and proactive in when the dysfunction from the family spills mm -hmm. over into the school setting? Watch behaviors because sometimes if you key on certain behaviors like the calling out or the blatant comments, there could be an indication. There may be, a, they could just be a natural born rebel or there could be something going on, especially if he becomes constant, or if they cry excessively, or they're tugging at something, or they're trying to fight for their way, then there's an indication they are fighting at home. What's your take on whether or not there should be mental health offices in this school? Because a lot of the time, our guidance counselors are now test administrators. Mm -hmm. 
they're not administering any type of therapy or counseling in the school setting. Right. And especially here in Fairfax County in where teen suicide is a hot button because there have been a number of them in a short amount of time. Right. What is your take on mental health being held in the school? It's needed, but also it needs to be monitored because sometimes, especially in public schools, the government will take a, will use it as leverage to separate the family unit and no one wins in the situation. So there has to be almost like what they have for, for work, where it's confidential, unless there's endangerment and it's where it's kind of like they're not part of the government to where basically where they have to report to a government official to where CPS creates more damage to a child to where they can actually get help. Okay, so if I understand you correctly, what you're saying is that a lot of the times in the programs that we have, whether they're in schools or whether they are in mental health settings, mm -hmm. all of the attention goes to one person. Mm -hmm. And the dysfunction in the family that spills over in the school, the foundation of it is a lot more than just that child acting exactly. out. Exactly. So mom, dad, and siblings all need to be in a group therapy session versus just Yes, not only that, but also, and sometimes people will just only deal with the surface to not deal with the root of the matter, and it's still, a, you end up with a dead end. Yeah, and with that, we'll be right back. Never miss a moment. Subscribe to my YouTube channel today at thatanitalive.com forward slash YouTube. Welcome back, and as mentioned earlier, our topic for today is child molestation. I am Anita, your host. This is That Anita Live, where we share emotional healing to help you create a happier life. My guest today is Tremaine Moore, and we've been discussing survival, mm -hmm. basically. And what would you say is the technique or therapy that helps you manage the effects that you still feel? Wow, one thing that I do is first realize that this was not my fault. This was something that came to me externally. And now I have to realize what can I do to make my life better and the lives around me better than they were when. For me, before it happened, or even in the midst of all this and others after they meet me, how, to, how that I can enrich their lives. And because I understand that you do that on a regular basis and yes. where you speak to children of all ages. Yes. What are some of the toughest questions that some of these kids have asked? I would say probably one of the toughest questions was, it's not really tough to me, but I know it for many people, whether mm -hmm. it be high school or college, is do I still feel an attractiveness towards men? Yeah, because children have no filter. Exactly. <laughs> they just and, ask. And, and I appreciate their, their <laughs> candor in it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's actually a great question because many of their, their eyes pop open when they realize that I wasn't just molested by um, my uncle, there was also a female relative involved as well. She was also two years older than me as well. And I would say that kind of broke the mold as to what was considered natural versus what was not natural, even though the whole thing wasn't natural, but just the natural concept of a man to a woman is more, was more, felt more natural to me than it did um, me towards my uncle. 
So when we talk about effects, yes. we haven't gotten very specific. Okay. But I know for some people, they have nightmares. Mm -hmm. um, some actually uh, disappear within themselves mm -hmm. and, and disassociate. This is true. What are some of the effects that you are still experiencing today? I would say there was one period I remember kissing someone and in a flash, it was like I just saw my female relative and I was like, we need to stop. And it was like, this is going down a road that I don't want to go uh, because I'm not ready yet. And I also don't want to violate you in the process. So for me, it was not only a buffer for me, but it was also a way of protecting the woman involved as well. How did she respond? She was, she was very understanding. So that um, was very helpful. Yeah. yeah. Yes. To, to, to one, to be understood, two, mm -hmm. to be heard, right. and then three, not to be pushed away. Exactly. What are some of the toughest areas of your life? For a lot of my clients, it's holidays. Mm -hmm because they go home and sometimes they have to interact with or face the people mm -hmm. that have mistreated them, right. violated them. Do you have that same experience? I haven't had too many, thankfully. Um, in fact, I just moved back up here to Maryland where all of this went down and I just drove by the area that I grew up in. I saw some elements of my past, but it wasn't as bad as what I had imagined it to be. So it was kind of like, it was just a look back over the good, the bads, and for me, I just looked at it as, I'm just thankful that I'm still alive. What was your breathing like when you were driving through your old neighborhood? It, 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 I, my breathing didn't really change. It was okay. just thinking back to, wow, this is the block that I grew up on. Okay. And you know, it, was, it kind of made me smile, just to think that, again, I'm still alive. And there was, because there were a lot of stupid things that I did, um, even in my own childhood, it's like, wow, I made it. You made it through? Through all of it. I, I'm just thankful I wasn't in jail. I wasn't kicked out of school. I mean, there was just so many things that I did. That you now look back on and say? Yes, I'm very grateful. <laughs> very, very grateful for being here today. Yes. One of the other reports says that people that have been physically assaulted or violated mm -hmm never feel what we call in our society normal again. Mm -hmm. What do you think attributes to that? Lack of care of others, not getting the professional help, and always wanting to live in fear or isolation, and just not wanting to just be real with who they are, who they really are. Because getting help in mental health mm -hmm. is something that whether it's in the african-american community the asian community the latin community mm -hmm. it's still looked upon as a weakness exactly why with, with everything that we have going on in our society today all of the issues with mental health as mm -hmm. soon as someone commits a crime and it gets national attention the first thing that hits the news is that they have a mental health problem mm -hmm it's back to the reactionary stage. And again, we look at it, I don't know if pride plays a role in it and that, that stigma of what goes on in the house stays in the house, mm -hmm. basically mm -hmm. shows that there's nothing wrong with you, which you, it's almost like saying, your abnormal is now considered normal. So it's, so it's almost like telling 
a victim that your abuse is normal, embrace it. So that could explain even some of the physical abusive relationships where you have victims that stay in abusive relationships. Or they repeat exactly. abusive relationships with different people over exactly. and over and over. Exactly, and that's what they call insanity, doing the same thing over and over, expecting different results. Yeah, because mental health, especially in the African-American community, one of the things that is escalating right now is suicide among youth. Mm -hmm. And a lot of those youth, when their background is investigated or dug into, is that there were a numerous, there were a number mm -hmm. of issues mm -hmm. that the child experienced before they actually committed suicide exactly. and it comes to the point to where it is investigated. Mm -hmm. Why is it that you feel children of all are number one for being attacked by predators? It's really just a matter of predators are trying to find anyone whom they can groom. And I mean, this goes down to two, three, four years old. I knew a, a woman who um, was molested under the age of five by her own, someone in her immediate family and was passed to a sibling. And that was considered normal. And basically, you know, the woman was told, you initiated it. And I had to explain to this particular woman, no one under the age of five could understand what sex is. So predators look for whomever is an easy target. And children, because they have sometimes no filters, they're naive to what's going on, they become easy targets and they will believe any adult. So now for viewers who need to assess whether or not they have a child, whether it's in their family, in their classroom, or in their church setting, mm -hmm. that may be being sexually assaulted. Mm -hmm. Walk me through the grooming process. The grooming process is whether their attitudes change when they're around certain people. And one thing I had to say to people when I was being molested is, check their grades, check their behavior in school, because most of the time, if they have to act a certain way around family members. I know I had to maintain a certain decorum around my family, else I was pretty much afraid because my uncle had that much leverage against me to where he could basically manipulate them to believe whatever he wanted them to believe, even though he was only a kid. So when I went through school, I acted out everything. So my grades were great. My behavior was atrocious. So whenever I brought my report card home, the grades weren't looked at. It was how many unsatisfactories I had in my behavior, and that's how I still got grounded. So there's either a flip, whether the grades would be terrible, behaviors is okay, or vice versa. So when you start seeing varying patterns, there's an indication something's going wrong. And what could a concerned adult do? How could they address the, the child? Mm -hmm. Even if it's a teenager, right. how could they address them to try and get them to tell the truth? Basically be open with them, show, let, show them that you really care and that you have their best interest and where, pretty much where the parent puts their own agenda aside and where they are really tending to them to where they're in an environment that's safe because a child is not gonna tell a parent if they are not gonna feel safe where it is, and that's one thing abused people look for, is something safe. 
is something that is secure and that's not going to inflict any further damage. Because a lot of my, the, the kids, that I call them my kids, a lot of the, the kids that I have for clients, the one thing that they always brought up is that, one, if they tell someone they're never believed, mm-hmm. but when they tell, they're still returned to the home. Yes, and that should never be the case. There should always be something in place to where what we talked about in the prior segment, there should be the family unit should be cared for as a whole. It's almost like telling your child, you need to do this and do everything that you're said while the parent is not getting anything, any benefit from this. And they can continue to, let's just say for the sake of argument, the parent is the abuser where the parent can basically continue on in their negative patterns. Okay, so the perpetrator Mm -hmm. has insulted, belittled, demeaned, um, manipulated the parents. Mm -hmm. They have groomed not just the child, but the situation. Mm -hmm. How do you, or how have you seen perpetrators make that next move? Wow, that's a loaded question. How How do they make their next move? It's just a matter of watching it as it comes. And I'm looking at my situation. It was just a matter of what to expect day to day because there was no telling what could happen. Because there there have been situations where the child was taken to a babysitter, mm-hmm. just for an example. Mm-hmm. And the first three months was fine. Mm-hmm. Get, out the, get out of the car laughing, be just fine. Mm-hmm go into the house without a problem. Mm-hmm. And then over, almost overnight, when the child was dropped off at the house, they would holler and yell and mm-hmm. scream and fight and not want to stay with that babysitter anymore. Right. But mom who's doing the drop off is working two jobs, mm-hmm. one during the day, one at night, and just sees a rambunctious or a uh, rebel of a child. child. Yes. What should a parent do in that case? And where they feel as if their back is up against the wall, mm-hmm. but. Life comes to a halt when you have a child. And yes, I understand, you know, and, and it's almost like, but you have to have a good balance. Does, is your job more important than your child? Yes, you are a provider, but your child has to be a priority because if you focus on the job and neglect your child, they will, they will get, the child will get worse because that's going to be child neglect. And then CPS will come in and say child neglect and, and the parent will still lose. So a parent has to count the cost. So if you notice distinct changes in your child's behavior, if you notice that your child begins to withdraw, whether it's withdrawing into themselves, being distant from friends, being distant from family, whether your child is, has gone from being a, a happy, what seems to be well-adjusted child, to someone whose grades have dropped, they're withdrawn, even with teenagers and where they, they go from wearing reds and yellows and greens to being in all black. These are drastic changes in your children that you should pay attention to. Even if you've experienced sexual assault, whether it be now or if you've experienced in your past, we have to make the plea to you to reach out to someone. Sometimes it's not that you want to be fixed or you want therapy, but you just want to be heard and you want to be believed. There's an 800 number that Rain runs called 1-800-656-HOPE. That's 1-800-656-HOPE. That's 4673. 
and start your journey to emotional healing today. There are people out that care and that are willing to help you. I am Anita, your host. Be sure to go to thatanitalive.com to see where and when you can view our next episode.